All right, adults, I'm going to hold you to it, right? We didn't dismiss the kids, so now we can sit back and listen to a sermon and tune the, the pastor out. God is growing a harvest of righteousness in you right now, right? This is not just an act of, of uh, the teacher sitting in a classroom and you're the students taking notes. This is very much a moment where the God is at work in your heart. So I hope and pray that you have uh, the posture of humility this morning as you let God speak and work in your heart, not through the words that Pastor Dan says, but through the word of God that we're going to explore this morning. And, and to be honest, I'm going to give you a little bit of a fair warning. I, I don't think that this is necessarily going to be a, a simple or easy topic for us. Why? Because we're going to talk about something that resides deep within our soul. What is it that you most long for in this life? What is it you're most hungry for? What is it you most desire and long for? Right? It, it, it may seem like I'm asking for like the big picture, what's your five-year goal plan or 10-year, or, or, or what's, what do you desire as the outcome of your life? But, but before we think about something big, I'm actually going to challenge you to think about just the opposite. I, I'm going I'm to ask you to take a look at your desires under the microscope, because the desires that matter most are the ones that reside deep within our soul, but don't often get the attention that we need to give it. See, what we desire most, I think, directs the, 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 the focus and the attention of our lives. What we long for most, but don't always acknowledge and are aware of, are the things that, that actually shape and form the decisions of our daily lives, the things we do and say, and, and the, the ways we commit our, our, our valuable resources to, to see God do something with. And yet, in all of that, and in, in, in knowing that this is true for what matters or what, what those deepest desires are in us, how many of us clearly know what we desire most? This past week, I went on a field trip with my son's class to Mill River here in town, right? It's this little stream that there's a conser- conservation group that kind of takes care of, and, and they let uh, school groups come and, and, and explore what's in the river and all that. And, and, and part of the trip was, was gathering plankton from the stream. And they just had this stick with what looked like a pantyhose on the end of it, and you just kind of scoop across the top of the water both ways, and then, then you dump that in a bucket of water. And to be honest, when we did that, I'm thinking, I mean, these poor kids, they put me in charge of you, and I don't know that we're doing anything but putting dirt in this bucket, right? I mean, I'm not sure there's anything good that will come out of this, because when, when you look at it, it does. It just looks like water with dirt floating in it. Until you take a, a microscope or a magnifying glass and look more closely at what's in the water, and you begin to see these little tiny living organisms that you never would have seen with this, the, the naked eye. See, I think this is oftentimes how our lives work. Many of us got up this morning, we ate breakfast, we took a shower, we, we drank some coffee or tea, we, we got dressed, we, we got in our cars and we, we drove down here to the church. But along the way, you made decisions that dictated how you lived your lives. You made decisions, these were value decisions about how you spent your time and, 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 and where you were going and what you were going to do with your day, Right? Decisions that were driven not by some big, grand, 10-year plan, but by these values, these desires, these wants that are hidden deep within your soul. So John tells us in his first letter that whoever says that they abide in Jesus ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked, right? Right? 
If we say that we're followers of Christ, if we say that we believe in Jesus and we want to live with him, then the natural outcome is that we ought to walk like him. So if you think about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be this healthy spiritual leader is to live a life that reflects the life of Jesus. It's one thing to say that I want to I, I want to be a Christian. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe in the idea of Jesus. But what spiritual leadership really means, what discipleship really means, is that if that's what I truly want and desire deep within my soul, then my life ought to reflect the life that Jesus lived and the values that he embodied. Over the past couple of weeks, Paul has taught us that healthy spiritual leaders are those who have a singleness of heart for Jesus. They have a genuine faith in Jesus, and there's a congruence between the life that is going on inside their soul and the life that they embody, the life they live in the world around them. Right When we go to work, when we share a meal with someone, when, when, when we engage in a conversation with someone, when, when we go to school, when, whatever it is, that, that, that our lives are not compartmentalized into my religious life and my, 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 my vocational life, my, my career, you live one life, a life of following Jesus, of living like him, of being a disciple of Jesus who reflects the life and values of Jesus, and so we don't, we can't so easily say, well, you know, I went to church on Sunday, and then I got home, changed out of my clothes, and I, you know, went back to work or, or did this. We, we, can't, we can't do that, right? We can't segment our lives out. There's, there's congruency between our inner life and our outer life, and to become these kinds of healthy spiritual leaders, God has given us a treasure, Right? Paul taught us that, that we have to learn to treasure the word of God as it teaches us, as it rebukes us, as it corrects us, and as it trains us in righteousness. Now, I don't know that I made this clear last week when we covered that text in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. But I, I want to just say this real quickly. When, 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 Timothy, when Paul said to Timothy that it's the word of God that teaches us and, and, and rebukes us and corrects us and trains us in righteousness. I, I want you to notice that it's God's word that does that. It's God's word that teaches us. It's God's word that rebukes us. It's God's word that corrects us. It's God's word that trains us in righteousness. It's not Pastor Dan's word, right? It, it, it's not such and such a pastor I, I, I heard or this podcast or this article I read. I mean, those things are helpful, but we've got to go back to the source. We have to treasure, we've, we, we, we ought to treasure God's very word as, as the, the thing that's most valuable and meaningful to our lives. And so we can only do this if we're reading it, if we're examining it, if we're reflecting on it, if we're digesting it. If we're saying this word is not just a word, it's, a, it's the word that has value and sway in my life. It is that treasure deep within that comforts and directs, rebukes, challenges, trains in righteousness. See, Jesus told his followers that where their hearts were, that's where their treasure would be found. 
It always seemed like a, 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 funny, a, a funny statement the way Jesus said it. I don't know why, but, but, but where your hearts are, there your treasures would be found as well. In other words, what you treasure most is at the core of who you are. It, it guides and directs your life. And so this morning, would you say that God's word is the, is the treasure of your heart? Would you say that God's word is the very thing at the core of your being that's shaping and forming your affections and your desires? When, when Paul calls us to a singleness of heart for Jesus, he's not saying that we can't want or desire anything else, but he's saying our want and desire to be near and to follow and to be like Jesus is our greatest and most important desire that informs every other desire and affection we have. So would you say that, that God's word is the treasure of your heart? So I think if, if we were to put our hearts under the microscope this morning, most of us will find that, 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 that our hearts, or that, that, that God's word is not, either not what we treasure most or certainly not the only thing that we treasure, right? What we'll find is, is, is many competing treasures, many competing desires and wants and affections, but what Paul tells Timothy is that's not so with a healthy spiritual leader. Healthy spiritual leaders see the value of having one desire above all else. Not one and only one desire, but one desire above all else. And this one desire shapes and informs how we are to understand every other want and desire in my soul. Success, acknowledgement, recognition, love, Belonging, those things aren't necessarily horrible or bad, but they're unhealthy when they become our greatest desire. Whereas if I want to be acknowledged for being a follower of Jesus, well, that puts me in the realm of, of wanting to know who I am in light of Jesus. It brings health and, and acknowledgement to that. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to put our hearts under the microscope of God's word and of God and the life in Christ. Uh, again, I hope you hear me say this where I'm not going to require that we uh, kind of hold up our, uh, you know, the back of a piece of paper and tell me what desire you found when you looked under the microscope. This is an exercise between you and God. But I would challenge you not to leave it there. I would encourage you to consider who in your life is a person that you can, in a trusting way, share what you're seeing in your examination of your heart under the microscope with God. This morning, to kind of give us some guidance as we do this, I want us to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to, I want to read for us about six verses here in the middle of the chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 12. Paul writes these words. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, 
love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Heavenly Father, I would thank you for, for your word, Lord. I pray that your, your word would take the, the, the center of our attention, both of our minds and our hearts, that we might respond with a deeper knowledge of you, that we might respond with greater courage to trust you and, and to draw closer to you. Lord, may your word have its way in us. May your word teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, part of this whole discussion about um, wants and desires and treasures in our soul is this idea of contentment. And contentment is found in numerous places throughout our Bibles. At one point, Paul declares what seems a mystery to many of us, that, 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 that whether he had much or very little, he had learned the secret of contentment. He'd learned to be content whether he had a lot of things or very little, right? The author of Hebrews teaches us to keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. Why? For Jesus has already told us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In other words, there's a security in knowing the promise of Jesus to never leave us nor forsake us. So there's really no reason for us to want or desire anything else but to cling to this truth that Jesus has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. David, King David, penned a psalm in, in, to the Lord in Psalm 131 that says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. See, what these passages teach us this morning is that contentment isn't found in, in reaching the top of something, isn't reaching the, the mountaintop of success or, or, or the, the mountaintop of climbing toward comfort and security. What these passages teach us is that contentment is something else. It's not a feeling of satisfaction that you might have after you enjoy a meal or drink a glass of water when your, your throat is dry and parched. Contentment is true, eternal, lasting peace for the very depth of your soul, which can only be found in Christ Jesus. See, this, this idea of contentment is the posture of a healthy spiritual leader. One who's not driven this way and that way by competing desires and wants and, and affections, but, but whose heart has a singleness for Jesus and in that place has contentment, has a peace of soul. Not peace like a piece of a pie or a piece of pizza, but a peace like P-E-A-C-E, peace of our soul, a soundness, a contentment, like a, like a weaned child, not... Not, not crying and, and, and scared or, or hungry and thirsty and feeling malnourished. Uh, contentment is resting in Jesus. See, I think it's a, a, a misperception that we'll eventually be satisfied with our, with our own efforts and our own achievements. Like if I just try harder, if I just obey more, maybe even within the religious life, even within Christianity, we sometimes think that if I could just show God that I'm more obedient, he'll bless me with more peace in my life. 
But that's, that's not what our Bibles teach us. Contentment is not found in self-sufficiency. Contentment is not found in, in, in showing myself sufficient with, with, with wisdom and knowledge and, and, and discipline. Contentment is found in Christ dependency, like a weaned child dependent upon its mother. See, a weaned child isn't afraid or insecure. A weaned child doesn't set lofty goals that are, that are incongruent with who they are. They're not sitting there saying, man, I, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. Man, that's going to be so awesome. That's not what a weaned child does. A weaned child doesn't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. A weaned child isn't, isn't scared. They don't worry about their past. They don't worry about their, their present. They don't worry about their future. In fact, I'm pretty sure that a weaned child only cares about being fed, changed, and put to bed, right? Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy, if we have food and clothing, we will be content. Right? If we have food and clothing, we will be content. Why? Because a weaned child trusts in the one who holds them. For us, a healthy spiritual leader enjoys contentment with godliness because we trust and are secure in the one who holds our life. Godliness, living this devoted, faithful life with Jesus, it's not about our behaviors but are becoming like a weaned child in God's arms. It's about our formation in Christ-likeness, in trusting the Father, in learning to be like Jesus, not just in our actions, in walking like he walked this earth, but in our values and our, our longings and our affections and our desires. So our greatest gain is not in treasures of this world, but in settling our hearts Focus on godliness and trusting God for that deep abiding peace that a weaned child has in its mother's arms. This is what it means to be a healthy spiritual leader. It's someone who's not anxious, who's not striving, who's not unsettled, but, but at peace, knowing that their life is secure in the arms of their heavenly father, knowing that Jesus will not leave them nor forsake them. But, but sadly, but sadly, our sinful selves are not satisfied with food and clothing and being held by God. Right? I mean, I, I say that because it seems a common struggle for many of us as followers of Christ. That though this is true, we experience moments of, of concern and anxiety, disruption and unsettledness. We are not necessarily like this weaned child in its mother's arms. Tragically, we're more like the Who's down in Whoville who receive a needed rebuke by the Grinch. Watch, watch this clip for us. Arthur May. Please become Mrs. Augustus Mayhew. <laughs> Augustus. If you agree to be my wife, uh, along with a lifetime supply of happiness, you'll also receive this. It's a new car! Generously provided by the taxpayers of Whoville! 
What do you say, Marshall? Yeah, I got 20 seconds on the clock. Well, I... These gifts are quite dazzling. Of course they are. That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what it's always been about. Gifts. Gifts. Gifts, 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 gifts. gifts. You want to know what happens to your gifts? They all come to me. In your garbage. You see what I'm saying? In your garbage! I could hang myself with all the bad Christmas neckties I found at the dump. And the avarice. The avarice never ends! I want golf clubs, I want diamonds, I want a pony so I can ride it twice, get bored, and sell it to make glue! Look, I don't want to make waves, but this whole Christmas season is stupid, stupid, stupid! See, when, when we look to the things of this world to satisfy our soul, they're never going to be satisfied. Enough is never enough. Right? When, when we look to the things of this world to satisfy our soul's hunger and thirst, what we truly long for, we're going to be guaranteed of one thing. That those wants and desires will lead to one place. They're going to end up in the dump at the top of Mount Crumpet for the Grinch to enjoy, right? I don't know if you know this, but the Grinch lives on the top of Mount Crumpet, and all the trash from Whoville goes all the way up and is left in, in, in his backyard, and, and he goes shopping in, in the dump, right? The reality is that the things of this world are, are ultimately not going to satisfy our soul. They may make you happy for a little while. You may feel good. But that's not contentment. That's not a settledness of, of soul. That's not a, a confidence and a strength in the Lord to know where you're going and to face various circumstances of your lives. I don't know, John D. Rockefeller is believed to, to have been one of the wealthiest people in the world. I don't, did you know that on the day that he died, someone asked his aide how much he left behind? Do you, do you know what the aide said? All of it, Right? The wealthiest man in the world left his entire fortune behind because he couldn't take it with him, right? I, I gave you the story of, of the wealthiest man alive. How about a story of the wisest human being aside from Jesus? King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. It's meaningless. It's, it's about uh, putting lipstick on a pig, right? You heard that saying? I, I learned that this past year, so I'm going to use it as much as I can. It's this idea of dressing up a pig, trying to make it look prettier than it is, right? That, that's, that's what it is. It's like chasing after, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to, to maintain the, the image that we believe is expected of us in our town or in our community or in our neighborhoods, right? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity because love, uh, money, and wealth is not what your soul truly longs for. No amount of money, no amount of wealth, no amount of comfort, no amount of anything apart from godliness with contentment will satisfy your soul. Why? Well, because you can't take it with you, right? 
looking to the things of this world to satisfy your soul's vanity. It's foolishness, right? But by nature, these worldly possessions and materials, they're all temporary. Think about the things in your life. You're, you, 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 I mean, just any, any material thing in your life, think about it for a moment. Will that last forever? Will that remain with you forever? Even some immaterial things, will it always remain a constant? See, these earthly treasures were never meant to last. They never last. None of them can remain. None of them will go with us after we leave this earth. When was the last time that you attended a funeral in which the casket was pulled in a hearse like this? Right? How many of you have seen, uh, attended a funeral where the, ca- the, the, the hearse is pulling a U-Haul with all this person's treasures in it packed into that U-Haul saying, okay, we're going on a trip. We're going on a journey. No one, right? It's laughable, yet somehow we live this way, filling our lives with things that don't matter. And not just our lives, but these things crowd out our minds and our hearts. They, they crowd out the space in our hearts and minds that we can give attention to God, that we can give attention to the love that he has for us, that we can give attention to the fact that we're being held by a loving, loving heavenly father in whose hand we can be like a weaned child, experiencing true eternal peace and having that kind of contentment. Again, the, the wisest man beside Jesus tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.15, he says, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked he, as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he, that he may carry away in his hand. We can't take it with us. You know, if what your heart treasures are the riches of this world, material or even, even immaterial, like the approval and applause of man, you're going to face not just deep disappointment, but, but dangerous snares, dangerous places in your life where, where you can see real damage happen. If, if that's the focus of your heart is building up earthly treasures, right? <laughs> yeah, but Pastor Dan, if I focus on building up earthly treasures, at least it's going to be a fun journey enjoying the riches of this world. No, 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 it's absolutely not. It won't. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul tells Timothy, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into this pit, not just a hole, but a snare, something that's meant to trap it, right? Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's not fun. That's not an enjoyable journey, right? For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, that that prioritization of our wants and desires around money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Listen, that this passage should tell us something. It should tell us you don't have to be rich to receive this warning. It doesn't say being rich is the root of all evil. The, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. I could have absolutely nothing and yet crave earthly riches and be in the same place as a person like John D. Rockefeller, longing and being the same dangerous place, I should say, longing for, for more wealth, but still being at risk of falling into snares and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You don't have to have money and wealth to receive this warning. It's not about how much you have. It's about what does your heart long for and treasure and cherish, right? See, a life of vanity, chasing after the things of this world, is not what Hollywood or pop culture and and, and ad companies make it seem to be. 
If your heart's desire is set on riches, you, you need to open your eyes to the dangers around every corner. This past week, is uh, a musician, R&B artist, a rapper named Post Malone. I, I feel like I sound young and hip for, for kind of referencing him. I don't really, I don't know much about him. I haven't really, I, I do know he's got tattoos all over his face. But he was giving this concert, right? He, he was giving this concert and he was, he was enjoying, like he was loving the, the, the interaction between he and the crowd. He was loving the applause, loving the song he was singing. And, and wouldn't you know it, he wasn't paying attention and falls into, there's a trap door in the stage. This is like the stage where they have this trap door in it so they can bring the musical equipment out onto the stage and, and transport things through and whatnot, wasn't paying attention. He was focused on the crowd, focused on the applause, falls right into the trap door, and, and I don't know if he broke a rib, but he absolutely bruised his ribs. Like, you could see him in pain on the stage afterwards. See, his attention, his focus, his, his, his desire was, was to perform for the people. That's what a musician does. That's nothing, not something necessarily uh, wrong about that, but, but there's something for us to learn from that, because his attention is so much on, uh, on the crowd and on their applause that he's forgotten to pay attention to what really matters. Namely, that there's a trap door in the middle of the floor that he's about to fall into, right? See, this, this is how Paul describes temptation. Temptation takes our attention off of what's good and right to draw us away into dangerous places. Temptations are not a good thing. They're a dangerous thing. When was the last time you heard anyone say that they were really glad that they were tempted because it ended well? Right? Anyone? No one, right? When was the last time you heard anyone being tempted to do good and healthy things? I mean, maybe it's possible, but it's probably pretty rare, right? Whoever said, I'm so tempted to wake up at 5 a.m. and work out, but you know, I've just got to resist that temptation to hit the snooze button. Right? No one! No one ever has said that. That one I'm confident of. See, temptations are, are by nature evil, and, and they draw us away from what is good. They draw our attention and our focus away from what is good. Temptations are those things we think are good, but they're really sheep in wolves' clothing. Or, I'm sorry, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. <laughs> Glad I caught that. out of. <laughs> See, when we think more money will solve our problems, when we think we desire our boss's approval, when we, when we desire our child's success, when we desire more followers on Facebook or Instagram, when, when we desire to avoid conflict or desire more comfort, when we desire these things above God himself, well, these are not desires from God. They're evil desires. They're not evil in and of themselves. They're evil because they're, they, we've made them first in our lives, right? It's not wrong for me to want my children to grow up to be healthy and productive and fruitful in, in this world and in their relationship with God. But, but if I make that my number one priority over and against my relationship with God and my desire for him, then they have become evil desires. See, I think Jesus knew that this sort of that the, the temptations were this kind of danger for his followers. He, he knew that, and which is why he's, he ta- teaches his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? That it was significant enough that when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and, and what, we, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, 
he, he specifically points out that they should petition the Lord, ask the Lord, Lord, lead us not into temptation. That just doesn't mean like, don't let me be tempted. But Lord, when I am, deliver me from evil. Right? Lead me away from the temptation. Church, examine your hearts. Consider what desires are at the core of your soul. There is desires, and wants, affections that, that shape the decisions you make, the ways you spend your time. I struggle to wake up some mornings early, but I've been challenging myself, Dan, if you truly treasure God's word, I mean, this is for me, right? I'm not saying this is prescriptive for all of us. But for me, my, the, my, I've, ch- I've been challenging. I'm preaching at us. I'm preaching to us. And I'm like, whoa, 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 Dan. Do you really treasure God's word? Do you really? Do you really value that time of solitude with God? Get up. Right? Place your heart under a microscope and know for sure what your heart treasures and desires. It's important that we know what, what unhealthy things we long for and desire. But it's also in that place good to know that we can still desire, God can still restore and, 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 and lead us to that place away from those temptations. Invite God in prayer to show you what your heart desires and pray that he would not lead you into temptation. See, Chasing this world's treasures in hopes of satisfaction is a great disappointment. It leads to destruction and ruin. But life with God, content in his arms, is great gain. That's what Paul's reminding Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not that the world won't tell us this. Like, you, you watch commercials in between, you know, on commercial breaks from the football game, and, and, and you'll, you'll want a new car, or you'll, you'll want to tr- try this new medication to help with this problem, or whatever it is, right? Ad companies design their, their ads to, to, to invite you to want what they're selling, right? But what you need to hear is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Being like that weaned child, resting peacefully in the arms of your heavenly Father, knowing that he has and will give you all that you truly need. That's great gain. Not scurrying about losing sleep over our future. Not scurrying uh, about wasting energy forging our own path. Not exerting all our energy and pretending that we're smarter or better than we really are. Healthy spiritual leaders have a singular heart for Jesus. And all else in their lives takes its proper places in reference to this one desire. Only in Jesus Christ do we possess our soul's deepest desire. Godliness and contentment is great gain. One one commentator I was reading said this. He said, so it is in Christ that we possess both godliness and contentment. In Christ alone can we have both godliness and contentment. Great gain beyond the dreams of avarice. We may become shirtless and shoeless and even homeless, but if we have Christ's life, his godliness and his sufficiency, we will be rich. Let's close with Paul's words here in verses 11 and 12. But as for you, 
O men and women of God. As for you, O followers of Jesus at Trinity Baptist Church, as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Two things. Flee and pursue. Flee evil desires. Flee a heart that treasures worldly materials and the recognition of man apart from dependence on God. Flee those things. Medical professionals tell us that, that our bodies respond to stress with a combination of, uh, of flight or fight. Fight or flight. Flight, fight. Fight or flight, yes. It's our body's way of responding to those moments when our life is at risk. Those threatening situations. They enable us to survive, right? Spiritually speaking, the wisdom of God's word enacts a, a, a flight or fight response as well. It empowers us to run away from those evil desires that we've identified in our soul and to run to a, a deeper peace in God, right? When you take the time to examine your heart under the microscope, when you see those desires that are, that, that are in conflict with this number one desire, this singleness of heart for Jesus, when you identify those things, you need to flee, we, we need to give ourselves permission to turn away from that temptation, to turn away from that desire. Remind yourself of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Flee evil desires. Right? Confess them. Draw them out into the light. Right? Turn from them. If there's someone in your life that you, that you can share these things with, it's not a matter of so they can hold you accountable. It's just by telling them, it's no longer something that's hidden in the dark. You could say, hey, you know what? I actually do care about what people think about me. Would, would you pray with me that, that God would give me a greater confidence in, in who I am in Christ rather than me being so concerned about what other people think of me? Draw them out into light. Confess them. Uh, you know, speak to this with other people, other believers in your life, and invite God to restore good and right desires in your heart. Prayer is where we turn to in this place. We start in prayer. Prayer is that exercise that, uh, that enables us to examine our heart under the microscope. The, the psalmist prays, search me, O God, know my heart. That's a prayer, a prayer we can pray. I know it's hard, but I, you know, I don't want to hear, oh, it's so hard, it's so difficult to do this. Right? The Spirit of God within you will empower you to flee the temptations that you deal with. The, the Spirit of God will empower you to flee to enable you to be like that weaned child and to just trust him. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Not Dan is faithful, not you are faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with, the, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Flee evil desires. When you look under the microscope at the, at the core of your soul 
and you identify these things that are not a singleness of heart for Jesus, flee them. And don't be scared of it. Don't think I can't do this. You absolutely can. Why? Because the Spirit of God within you can empower you to do it. He's promised. Flee evil desires, but then pursue. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. This is, this is the, the, the fight response. This is where we, we, we don't live in insecurity, but we're going we're gonna to fight. We're going to pursue. We're not going to fight one another. We're going to fight to pursue those things that are good and right and from God. We're going to fight for what's good and holy. We're going to fight for what's eternal and from the Lord. We're going to run after God, right? We're not just going to flee those things and kind of casually turn away and walk away. We're going to run after God. We're going to run after this idea of uprightness, not just this righteousness before God, but righteousness before man. We're going to care about living our lives rightly before God and man. We're going to run after the faith. We're going to run after a Christ-like character of love. We're going to run after faithfulness and gentleness toward others and toward God. It's not, it's not like the medical professionals say. It's not fight or flight. It's flight and fight. Right? It's both. We're going to flee and pursue. So men and women of God, examine your hearts. Take the time and give attention to knowing what your heart treasures. Flee whatever desires are evil and fight for righteousness. Fight for godliness. Fight for faith. Fight for Christ-like love. Fight for steadfastness and gentleness. See, I think this is the life of a healthy spiritual leader. This is the life of a follower of Jesus. Not just a singleness of heart for Jesus, but a, a life that continuously puts our heart under the microscope, examines what's there, and ruthlessly flees from whatever is not of God and pursues him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that, that, that your word, it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. Lord, this morning I pray that it would do each of those things as we consider the desires of our heart. And, and, and as you reveal to us what the desires of our hearts are, Lord, would you also empower us to flee from temptation. And then, not just to flee from temptation, but to run toward righteousness, love, steadfastness, gentleness, but to run to you, God. Lord, you've taught us to pray, lead us not into, temp into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray that now, Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Grow our hearts to be more and more like Jesus, form our character to be more and more like him. And may you start in this place where we invite you to examine our hearts with us. For you are able, you are powerful, you are gracious and compassionate, yet you are also righteous and just in leading us and forming us as healthy spiritual leaders that live like Jesus. For it's in his name we pray.
Amen.